tonight, we're going to move on to the doctrine of angels. We were talking about creation last week, and so uh, as we move sort of into the uh, the realm of the supernatural, the, the heavenly realm tonight, uh, we've been talking about God, about all the things that he made that we can see. Uh, it's good to take a moment and realize that there's an entire world out there that he made that he can't, that we can't see, or at least we can't see it yet. So uh, if we go back to that verse in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, which we've read several different times, it tells us that uh, all things were created by God through Jesus Christ, including those things in heaven and on earth, those things that are visible and invisible. And from that, we can state with certainty and with, uh, with, with doctrinal uh, stability that angels are created beings uh, that inhabit the invisible heavenly realms. So I know it gets a little confusing sometimes when we say heavenly, because the Bible uses the word heaven in a number of different ways. It talks about our atmosphere as being heaven. It talks about the, uh, the place where the sun and the moon and all the stars, outer space, as heaven. So we'll, we'll try to use more precise language. But probably the better description here of the invisible realm might be the realm of spirits, the spiritual realm. Uh, that, uh, that, that gives it a reality, but distinguishes it from the physical reality in which we live. Being a spiritual being does not make one less real. Uh, it, it's a different kind of existence, and angels appear to be the primary form of spiritual being. Now, the scriptures do not reveal when the angels were actually created. They're, they're not in that list of Genesis chapter 1, you know, the one that says the living, the land creatures, the sea creatures, human beings. Angels are not mentioned there. We are told that they shouted for joy when God laid the foundations of the earth in Job chapter 38. So, that would seem to place their creation prior to the creation of the heavens and the earth mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. So probably the safest way to describe the creation of the angels is that they existed in the eternal realm of God uh, prior to uh, his creation of the physical realm. So there was a a spiritual creation in which these spiritual beings were a part of that realm, impossible to give it any sort of timeline. If you want to say a billion years, if you want to say a million, if you want to say quadrillion, I don't know if that's a word, but you can say that. Uh, the Bible just doesn't, doesn't address it, does not say this is when they were created, except to say that they were already there when the rest of creation 
came into being. So all we can safely say is that uh, they, although they're part of that spiritual eternal realm, they are still created beings. They're, they're not eternal in the sense in which we say that God is eternal, because the eternity of God knows no beginning. And the angels definitely had a beginning. We just don't know exactly when. Do I have any comments or questions on the creation of the angels? I have a question. Okay. Um, so there's people and there's like, say, worshiping or praying to an angel that would be worshiping and using that angel as an idol, correct? So why do people would specify on different types of angels and invest in praising this angel for this, praising this angel for that? Um, why do they do it? Well, they do it because well, I can think of a couple of reasons. One reason might be just ignorance. They may not know. Uh, no, maybe nobody's taught them. Maybe nobody's uh, instructed them on on angels being not uh, to be worshipped. Or it could be, you know, a lot of the occult, a lot of the uh, you know astrologies, the horoscopes, the the yeah. um, the, the whole occult world, the is is built around these so-called spirit beings, these spiritual powers, and how you can influence them, how you can appease them, how you can manipulate them, how you can get them on your side. So really, uh, you know, some people really actually believe. They believe that, you know, by doing a certain ritual or chanting a certain word, or a certain phrase, or offering a certain kind of sacrifice that they can influence an angel to to do something that they want that angel to do. So, obviously, the Bible makes it very clear that angels are not gods; they're not to be worshipped as God, and that the worship of anything other than God is idolatry, and will ultimately lead to uh, that person's or the worshippers sorrow and destruction all right well you know along that line the bible does tell us that angels are greater in power and might than human beings so that's another reason you know we tend to worship that which is greater than ourselves you know we'll we'll make out uh you know someone who's really good at sports or really good at making money or really good at entertainment, will lift them up and exalt them, and people do the same thing with angels. Angels are greater in power and might than human beings. Man was made a little bit lower than the angels. We are a, uh, a uh, you know, in terms of the spiritual beings that exist, you know, because we are sort of connected as that in-between the spirit and the, the physical realm, we have some limitations that angels do not have. Being purely spiritual beings, angels can do things human beings cannot. 
and they serve God in their assigned capacity and in their assigned spheres of authority. So just as God made man to do certain things in relation to this world, in relation to the earth and to the garden, so God made angels to do certain things uh, that would be beyond the abilities or powers of human beings. We can also learn from the scriptures that angels are immortal. Uh, they have no need to marry or procreate. In other words, we use the term immortal to mean that angels cannot die. Um, from the moment of their creation, they have uh, had an immortal life. And, uh, you know, if you think back to when human beings created or created, we were supposed to have an immortal life. But we surrender that immortality when we sinned. Uh, but angels have no need to marry. There's however many angels were created by God, that's how many there are. There's no baby angels. They don't, uh, they don't make new ones. <laughs> Just as many as there are. And, uh, and they will continue to exist throughout all of eternity. Uh, do I have any comments or questions so far? Um, Bishop, um, one question. Um, in regards to the immortality of the angels, it kind of reminded me of man when they sinned. That immortality, you know, was changed for us. But for the fallen angels, there was no change in immortality for them. That's, that's true. Um, when you go to that passage there, when, uh, when God brings the judgment against Adam and Eve, um, and this is kind of a weird way of, of looking at it, you know, we, we, we look at... We we look at immortality sort of as this, I guess, this uh, ideal. I think we'd all you know, say, well, you know, I'd love to be immortal, but you know, I'm sitting here tonight. I can barely stand up. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've been in uh, physical therapy all afternoon trying to get my back worked out. I, you know, I wouldn't want to live this way for <laughs> eternity. Uh, in 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 a very strange way. Uh, God instituted the penalty of death for human beings as a redemptive tool. Uh, and we can probably talk a lot more about that when we get to that, that doctrine ourselves. But uh, because there is no death for angels, there is no redemption for angels. Uh, their immortality is confirmed even in their fallen condition. And... Uh, when you really begin to think that through, to know that one is going to live to ever, but to know that one can never be reconciled to God, to one's creator, I, I'm not sure that's a blessing at all. I think that's probably that's probably their curse. And uh, we're going to talk more about demons later on, but we may go we may go back over some of this ground. Um, but you know, if your if your question was more along the lines of why did God treat the angels one way and treat human beings a different way, I don't have a good answer for that, uh, except to say that human beings were made in the image of God, 
So I think there's something about that that probably, even though we're not as glorious, we're not as powerful as these angelic beings, we are recipients of a grace that no angel has ever received. And indeed, there's another passage of Scripture that Peter talks about where he says the angels have uh, have looked into or have gazed at, have stared in wonder at this plan of redemption, this this idea of of a redeemed humanity, uh, with you know with just awe and with with wonder because it's not something that they can themselves experience. All right. The next thing we look at is that angels differ in titles and ranks and responsibilities. So we use the word angel as kind of a generic term. The word actually just means messenger, but not all angels are messenger angels. There's a difference in title and in rank and responsibility among the uh, angelic host, much like there is among human beings or among other creatures that God has made. Some of the titles that are assigned in Scripture, we we have the title Archangel, which was applied to only one angel, and that was Michael, uh, or that is Michael, I should say. Uh, we have the title Cherubim, that's the first title given in Genesis chapter 3. It's the cherubs. The cherubim is a plural term for cherub that were assigned to guard the Garden of Eden and keep Adam and Eve from returning. And Daniel, some spiritual beings are called princes and assigned to different nations, the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece. In many places in the Bible, they're simply called the host, which is a military term. There appears to be a, a a military force of angels. I think of that great vision that uh, Elijah uh, or that uh, Elijah's servant had when when the city was surrounded by the armies of Assyria. The servant goes into Elijah and says, "Lord, we're in we're in a lot of trouble. You know, the, the enemy is here." The, the prophet prays and says, "Lord, open his eyes and." He goes outside and he sees the army of the Syrians that surrounded the city themselves surrounded by an innumerable host of heaven, uh, the Lord's army. And uh, we see the term living creatures applied in the book of Revelation, and that vision is super uh, mysterious. Four faces, wings, feet, just... uh, not exactly sure what's going on there. Ezekiel saw something like it, but I wouldn't want to meet one of those in a dark alley any place. That would be one of those come to Jesus moments where you'd really have to find out whether you're you're right or in your heart. Uh, Isaiah saw what he called seraphs or seraphim. Those are the ones with the two wings and the uh, with the six wings, the two that covered their face and their body and the two that cover their feet. And uh, in several places, Genesis chapter 6, Job chapters 1 and 2, uh, some of the Psalms, they're called the sons of God. In a, in, uh, 
in, in a couple of places. And there's many others. Paul talks about thrones, dominions, mights, powers, uh, rulers, that Greek word archons, um, which can apply to both human rulers like kings and Caesars, but also can apply to, apply to the princes and the powers of the air. Uh, so we don't know exactly how the hierarchy of angels works. We don't know exactly who outranks who, although we can probably guess that being an archangel is probably as high up the list as you can go. Um, but we can recognize that there is an order to it. God does nothing chaotically. There's an order to how he created the angels and to the purposes that he assigned them and to the forms that he gave them and the uh, the functions of those forms. Uh, and I'm sure um, even now as we speak, you know, uh, angels are carrying out their assigned duties on behalf of God's people, and we can be grateful for that. Any uh, comments or questions on the titles or the ranks of angels? Okay, I have a question. Do do people have angels assigned to them, like a like a guardian angel? Well, I, I think I, I I can think of two verses. I think Psalm thirty four is one. An angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear God. And I think Jesus, I want to say, I want to say Matthew 18, maybe. He's talking about the angels of the little ones uh, that uh, are always before the face of the Father, talking about offending the little ones. Their angels are always before God's face. So, I think you can make a case that at a minimum, those who are in Christ mm-hmm. uh, and those that are um, innocent or, you know, when we think of a little child, we think of someone who's not yet corrupted or not yet, you know, turned away from God. I think we can make a case that yes. Uh, the righteous do have angelic, um, I don't know if guards is the right word, guardians, kind of, you know, if I have a guardian angel, he must have been asleep when I hurt my, <laughs> when I hurt my back. But, you know, do we have angels that minister to us? Yes, we do. I think so. I, I think another one you could look at is Psalm 91, right? He will give his angels charge over thee, unless you dash your foot against a stone. So... Yes, I, I'm comfortable with the idea of at least the righteous having angels. I, uh, I, I, I really couldn't speak beyond that because I don't think the Bible says much about whether the unrighteous have them or not. But, you know, if, if you're a sinner and you want to believe in angels looking out for you, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to really sit there and argue with you. I would tell you to be certain you should at least be in Christ. Anyone else want to speak to that? Yes, Pastor. I... Okay, so I actually, uh, I actually got this. I actually googled this, and it says 
they record everything a person does, and this information is used on the Day of Judgment. Uh, so, um, is it biblical? Is it in the Bible that they are they are scribes, they are recorders, they are, you know, recorders? Um, the closest I think we can get there biblically would be Job's chapter 1 and 2, where the sons of God come before, before the throne of God to give reports, at least in theory, on what's going on um, in the world. I, I can't think, and maybe, I don't know if someone can maybe help me here, I can't think of any other scripture which talks about an angel recording or writing down the deeds of of people. Um, so I'm not entirely sure where that idea would have come from. I've heard it myself, though. I mean, I've heard others talk about that. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just not sure. that. I think that's probably probably more out of tradition, maybe Jewish tradition or early church tradition uh, gave rise to that idea. But scripturally speaking, um, we, we do have the example in Job of the sons of God coming and presenting themselves before the Lord. And uh, one presumes on the basis of the question that God asked Satan, that one of these functions of the sons of God coming was sort of to report on the different things happening in the world. Now, the second issue there is, does each one of us have a book of our life, of everything we've ever done, every sin we've ever committed, every thought we've ever had? I, I guess it's possible, but I would say this. Once you come under the blood of Jesus, Amen. whatever you did before that moment is erased. Um, okay. Nothing will be brought back to, uh, nothing will be brought back or presented against you that has been committed to the blood of Christ and has been forgiven. So I guess, you know, we live in sort of an age now where I don't know if the angels would even have to work that hard. They could probably just check our Facebooks. <laughs> probably, probably just check our Twitters and probably figure out what we're up to. But uh, I'm sure that one of their functions is to kind of keep an eye on us. But okay. I don't think, I, I don't know that God needs an angel to know what's in our heart or know what we're doing. I think God's aware of us at all times. So that's probably more just of an old tradition, maybe based on some early Jewish ideas or Christian ideas. And uh, if it is the case, and it certainly could be, I would just remind you that the only book that matters is the Lamb's Book of Life. And once your name is written there, it doesn't matter what's in any other book. Amen. Anyone else want to speak to that? And now in the in the book of Daniel, it it, it, it mentions Michael that stands for thy people. 
what what exactly is meant by that um if you go back a few uh chapters before it says that daniel encounters two other figures uh one he calls the prince of greece one he calls the prince of persia i think the the takeaway there is it may be that each group of or each nation or each ethnic group has a particular representative of them collectively and that Michael is the the prince or the representative of Israel um going you know beyond that making making any more of it i think would be a little dangerous because again where the bible doesn't speak we shouldn't either but the idea of Michael as the sort of uh heavenly representative for the people of Israel um if you go back there's you know the other places where Michael is mentioned it's in connection with Israel he's he's mentioned in in uh, disputing with Satan over the body of Moses uh and so you know certainly that would tie into his uh to the formation of the the Jews or the formation of the nation of Israel when Moses in the wilderness and so to you know to say that each you know I know the modern concept of sort of a territorial spirit is a little bit more geographically based and I don't know that we can make an argument for that from scripture but we I think we can make an argument for a a representative of of a group of people that share, you know, a common maybe a common language, maybe a common culture. Uh I think one of the things we run into some of the Old Testament pagan religions, the Baals, the Ashtaras, um you mentioned there's a mention there in uh, in one of the stories and forgive me for not remembering the exact chapter and verse. uh you can look it up you can google it but uh one invader of israel uh said you know let's go down and fight them their gods are the gods of the hills and once we get them down in the valley we'll be able to take them so you know they had this idea of you know different gods with a small g different spirits having different powers in different places and that's probably where we get this territorial spirit idea from but that there's no you know the bible never authenticated or validated that and by the way in the story they were defeated just as soundly in the valley as they were up in the mountains so it proved the god of israel was the god of of everywhere but um to to say that michael has a particular responsibility of looking out for the people of israel I think is safe. I think the I think Daniel makes that case in in his prophecies and in his revelation. Anyone else want to speak to that? Um Bishop. Um, um. All right. Sister Marjorie? Yes, yes sir. Um in regards to the territorial spirit, um a couple of months ago, um a very prominent pastor was spraying from Florida and was um, calling spirits 
calling actually angels from Africa, calling out angels from South America to um, answer the prayer that she was praying to war on her behalf for a particular political agenda she was on. And this was on public television that I saw this. Is this kind of prayer in accordance with the word of God where angels are concerned? <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I think we all know the answer to that. Um, there is no instruction in the Bible for us to pray to any angelic being. There are multiple prohibitions against praying to anything or anyone other than God through Christ Jesus. And I really don't know why this is so difficult. You, you use the term pastor. I'm not, a, I'm not familiar with the story, so I couldn't even begin to guess but it sounds off the top of my head. It sounds it sounds like the kind of thing I've heard Pentecostal preachers do. So if she's one of us, you know. Shame on her. <laughs> but um, yes, I, you know. Here's the danger, and we're going to go off topic for a minute. So just bear with me. To order a spiritual being about to command Michael to command the angel of whatever country you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to do. Number one, it assumes an authority that nowhere in Scripture are we, claim, are we told we have. Number two, it assumes a knowledge that we know what to tell them to do. And I think that's where, for me, the real risk is here, is that Angels get their instructions from God. How we can be certain that we're uh, we're praying in, a, in in accordance with the instructions they have? And let me just give a quick example. And it's probably going to be a bit controversial, and people are going to tell me we're under grace now, and it's all different. But how many of you are familiar with the story of David? when he numbered the children of Israel. God judged him, and whatever else you feel about census and taking numbers, for whatever reason, David disobeyed God in doing this. And God gave him a choice. And I, it, was three day, it was three years of famine, I think. It was basically he gave him three choices, and one of the last choice was three days of plague. And, you know, David chose the plague. And God sent an angel to begin slaying the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And an angel killed 70,000 people in Jerusalem. Now, any of us that would have been in Jerusalem that day, being Pentecostals, being a feeling that we have this right to command spirits to do our bidding. How many of us would have stood up on our, gone to our rooftop or, or called prayer meeting and would have tried to command the angel to stop? But the angel was carrying out God's instructions. And for me, that's the ultimate danger. 
I want the pandemic in the U.S. to stop. I want the wars and the poverty and the diseases that are happening all around our world to stop. But I'm not so bold as to say that I know exactly what God's up to and what God's purpose and plan actually is and how he's fulfilling it. So anyone who feels the boldness to tell an angel how to do its business, to me, is, uh, I don't know, you're, you're on very thin theological ground there. Now, you could certainly say, well, the Holy Spirit prompted me to do this or that. And that's, that's where we sort of, you know, we get into that whole test the spirits thing and that whole submit your, you know, if, if, the, if, if, if you believe the Holy Spirit is telling you to command angels, that's one of those where you want to go to two or three seasoned spiritual ah! mentors and, and get some guidance on whether you're hearing the Holy Spirit correctly. Um, because, you know, even Jesus, who, who, who had the right to call 12 legions of angels to his rescue, could have done so with a word. Didn't. Because what was happening was according to God's plan and God's will. So I wouldn't go there. I don't know the sister who did go there, but... Um, I, I would counsel anyone to avoid trying to tell angels how to do their jobs. Anyone else want to speak to that? Or speak to anything else we've talked about so far? Um, Pastor, um, I'm just wondering if angels were created with um, free volition, making the, the choice, or um, just as a man... I was created by God and given a free choice. That's one of the way angels were created since we see in Second Peter 2, verse 4, uh, that um, um, Peter described, described there that God spared not the angel that sinned. So they had a choice to sin or, um, or to, to do what is right. Well, that verse is in our list tonight, and, and, and I think you made the point um, very clear. I think the Scripture makes the point very clear. Angels are subject to temptation and sin. They have a will. Um, they have intelligence. They have their own personal identities. We already mentioned Michael. The Bible names another angel named Gabriel. Um, they have a choice in serving God. Now, the only question I think that's, and the Bible's not real clear, Jesus mentions elect angels. Uh, I think in Matthew 24, uh, there, there is some question as to whether the judgment of angels is ongoing or is already mm -hmm. settled, uh, whether angels can continue to sin. And that really boils down to whether you regard Revelation 12 as a future, present, or past prophecy. There's a 
There's a, a scripture, Revelation 12, 7, I think, says there's war. There was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the devil, and his angels and the devil was cast out, and, went, and his tail drew one-third of the stars of heaven with him. If you believe that to be a future event, <clears throat> and you believe that to describe the fall of another third of the heavenly host, then angels still have the capacity to succumb to temptation and sin. If you believe that that event took place uh, in the past, prior to creation, prior to or at the time of the devil's rebellion, at the time of Lucifer's fall, then it may be that the matter is already settled. And now the angels are simply, they've been, they have been sentenced, the, and the judgment will be carried out at the, uh, at, the final, at the final judgment. So we read at the end of Revelation where the devil is cast into the lake of fire, we presume all of his angels cast with him. But to the question of did they have in their original creation the choice, uh, I believe all, all of them did. And I believe all of them, I, I, you know, I, I kind of land in the middle on this. Uh, I think it's very clear that God has not yet removed uh, certain spiritual beings from their positions of authority. So God is continuing to work in this world through spiritual powers, even some of those powers that are even now resisting him or rebelling against him. Or, you know, uh, to go back to what the sister said about the uh, pastor who called on the angel of, I, I forget where she said it was, Africa or South America, someplace like that. Um, well, that angel might not be on God's side. <laughs> So, or that angel may decide at that moment to switch sides. So, yeah, I, I think there's still an ongoing battle in the heavenly realms. I think that's why we call it spiritual warfare. There are still things happening today where uh, God's plan, God's will is being carried out and performed, but there are still those who actively resist it and are still trying to carry out their own agendas. Anyone else want to speak to that? Yeah, in, in Revelation 20, I believe, it, it talks about the devil, the angel coming from heaven with a chain, and he's going to bound Satan in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. This is right at the millennial reign of Christ, that he's, he's going to be bound in the bottomless pit of the earth, so that he will deceive the nations no more. So I, I, based on that, I, I would want to think that he's, he's still roaming the earth, doing everything that he thinks he's big enough to do. And, and uh, Peter mentions angels that are currently imprisoned in, uh, in Tartarus, is the Greek word there. Uh, Revelation mentions, I think, uh, four angels that are bound in the river Euphrates that are released. Uh, so yeah, there's there's uh, yeah there's a whole spiritual world out there with a lot of things happening in it. 
and a lot of things still happening in it. And uh, that that does suggest the idea of some of these spiritual beings are still choosing up sides. And uh, we know we're going to prevail. We know God's going to prevail. But that doesn't stop others from being deceived. And many of these angels have probably been deceived and have, have believed a lie, just like Adam and Eve did. Anyone else want to speak to it? Bishop? I have one other question. Okay. Um, it reminds me of um, when Daniel um, had prayed, and um, the angel told him that his prayers, you know, were already answered, but the answer was intercepted. So um, I believe he had to call like backup angels so that they could have brought that answer to Daniel. So my question is, does God use angels in answering our prayers? Um, yes, that's, that's, that's in your notes. Uh, if you look under item number nine, angels minister to the heirs of salvation. And one of the things they do is bring answers to prayer. The example I give there is uh, Gabriel coming to Zacharias in the temple when he was ministering before the Lord and telling him that uh, his prayers had been answered and that his wife Elizabeth was going to, to bear a child. And we also know uh, another example is given in Acts 27 where Paul uh, in the midst of that uh, storm that he was at at sea where the ship was broken up and the the uh, you know potential there was for the loss of life of everyone on board he testifies that an angel came to him and strengthened him and assured him that no lives would be lost that everyone would be the ship would be lost the cargo would be lost but that all the the human beings on board were uh, would be saved. So angels are, you know, again, it's a generic term, the word angel. But the, the primary meaning of the word angel is messenger. So uh, when God wants to send a message or confirm a message, uh, he can and does send angels at times to do so. And, you know, just to bring it out of the scriptures and into, uh, you know, the, the personal experiences and, and, uh, of ministers, of missionaries, of preachers, of pastors. Uh, you know, I've heard stories of my whole life, uh, growing up in the church of angels coming to missionaries, coming to pastors, coming to preachers, uh, to, bring an answer to prayer or to to give them encouragement, to give them strength. Um, I don't know exactly how it works. I can't tell you when they're going to show up. I, you know, you could, you could, you know, you could be at your, your wits end, but um, they do minister to the heirs of salvation. They, they give revelations. They make provisions. Uh, they they offer protection. They deliver from harm. Uh, they answer prayers. 
uh, or they deliver answers to prayers. We've got to be careful how we say that. Angels don't answer your prayers, but they bring the answers from God. Um, in some places, it's mentioned that angels were part of the instru- uh, or were some of the teachers and instructors that gave the law to Moses. Uh, in in the life of Philip, an angel directed him uh, to go uh, to to meet up with the, the Ethiopian eunuch, and and so uh, you know we could sit here tonight and just go story by story, but you know when these beings carry out their God-given missions, the heirs of salvation are always the beneficiaries. All right. Well, I think we've covered just about everything on the list tonight. Just from your questions, that's that's pretty cool. I love it when it goes that way. Um, let me just add a couple things here. One is that we don't know how many angels there are. Uh, their their quantity is unknown, except to God, of course. Uh, but we can imagine this universe. This universe of ours is inconceivably big. It's it's an immense universe and who knows uh, who inhabits uh, all of the the spiritual realms that uh, you know Jupiter may have its own group of angels that are responsible for making sure Jupiter does whatever Jupiter is supposed to do Uh, uh, another galaxy may have its own we don't know there's you know the imagination at this point can run a little wild but uh, Let's just say that uh, however many number there are, they're more, it's more than sufficient to the task that God has given them. We have evidence in both the Old and New Testament of angels acting in particular to carry out God's judgments. I mentioned David and the judgment against Jerusalem, but you can go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. You can go to the Assyrian army that encircled Jerusalem in the days of Hezekiah, 185,000 soldiers killed. Or you can just skip ahead of the book of Revelation and read about the the angels that blow the trumpets, that pour the bowls, that uh, bring the, the wrath of God and the judgments of God against this world. It's also very important, and we'll, we'll close it out here unless there's more questions or comments. We've mentioned a couple of times angels are in no way to be objects of worship or prayer or devotion. We are not to, uh, I mean, we can, I guess the farthest we can go is to thank God for sending his angels to help us, but make sure we're thanking God. Um, we need to understand that angels are subservient to Jesus Christ and worship him. Jesus is Lord of all, and all authorities answer to him. So however mighty Michael may be, and no doubt he is mighty, uh, he bows at the feet of Jesus, and he worships Jesus Christ. And so does Gabriel, and so do all the other holy angels. And uh, eventually every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess, including that old liar himself, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And angels are going to be very active in the days when Christ returns. 
and you can read any number of prophecies uh, all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament that describe the activity. Um, we see several periods of time in the scriptures where angels were especially active, at least in a visible way, where they were very noticeably present. The ministry of Jesus Christ in the early church is one of those times. Uh, angels made themselves visible uh, in in many ways, from ministering to Christ in the wilderness after his temptation by Satan, to freeing Peter from prison, to an angel coming to kill Herod for uh, accepting the praise that he was a god, angels acting on behalf of the Apostle Paul, Peter, uh, many examples are given in the book of Acts. And there will be another period of time where they will be especially active, and that will be at the time of Christ's return. And will be involved in separating the just from the unjust, the elect from the condemned. They'll be involved in bringing judgments against the nations that oppose the kingdom of Christ. They'll be involved in... Uh, even bringing judgments on creation itself. Uh, waters turning to blood, the sun turning dark, those type of things. So um, they are very much a part of God's kingdom, a part of his plan and purpose for all of his creation, and their activities are in service to uh, the glory and, and, and the, the majesty of Christ coming in power and in might to take absolute authority over this world. Any comments or questions on anything we've covered tonight? Pastor, um, in First Corinthians 6, verse 3, it would appear as if um, the saints will be um, part, will be, um, there will be some role in um, the judgment of the fallen angels. Yes, Paul does say that uh, you know, in the context of a dispute within the church, that Paul tells them they should have handled themselves. He tells them, you know, don't you know that you're going to sit and judge the angels? Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't really make it very clear what he means by that. So, you know, we have this speculation. Uh, but I think the closest that we can come is probably Ephesians chapter 2. If you can, let me see if I can turn there. There is a, a, a passage there where Paul talks about us being elevated with Christ, sitting in the heavenly place with Christ. Um, and uh, let's see what he says here. He says, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come. So that's that time to come that Paul's talking about. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So if you go back, 
if you go back, that same language is found in chapter 1. If you go back to verse uh, 19, it says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. See, the the same uh, phrase is used there. In chapter 2, made us sit together with Christ in the heavenly place. In chapter 1, Christ seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly place. And verse 21 is what ties them together far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So I want to go back to the first question I think I was asked tonight. If I remember right, it might have been Crystal who asked it. Why do people worship angels? And here's an even better example. Why worship a creature that one day is going to answer to us? <laughs> what sense does that make? We, in Christ, have been and will be exalted above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions. And every name that is named. And you know, that phrase, let me give you a little background on that. And I think it's still probably very prominent today. Matter of fact, it is. So let me go at it this way. It's become a popular thing in certain Pentecostal circles to try to discover the name of certain spirits, certain powers, certain territorial spirits, or the name of a a certain angel or demon because of the pagan belief. And let me emphasize that the pagan occult belief that knowing the creature's name gives you power over them. This is occult. This is witchcraft. This is idolatry on a grievous level. It is not to be part of any Christian prayer or worship or teaching. It's an abomination. It's occultic. We don't need to know anybody's name. We don't need to name the spirit of lust or the spirit of alcoholism or the spirit of whatever. That's foolishness. It's ignorance. It's stupidity. It's something that occult witch doctors do. We know the name that matters. The only name that matters. The name Jesus. That's all we need to know. Everything answers to the name Jesus. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about demons probably next week. Uh, We'll go into this a lot more then. But be on your guard against these false teachers. Be on your guard against these spiritual warfare specialists. What do I tell you about these people every time? Hold your wallet. Guard your checkbook. All they're interested in is defrauding you of their money. Don't go, if you go to a Christian bookstore and buy a book of the names, all 770 or six, what was the book I saw? 666 territorial spirits in the United States. 
I'm all for freedom of the press. I'm all for freedom of speech. But I tell you what, I've never wanted to have a book burning so bad as when I saw that nonsense. Stay away from it, church. I warn you. I beg you. I plead with you. Stay away from the nonsense. Simply knowing the name Jesus already elevates you so far above these creatures that it's an insult for you to elevate them or exalt them or make something out of them. Angels are real. They're servants of God. We should honor that. Let them do their duty. Let them carry out their missions. Let them do what God has told them to do. All we need to do is keep serving Jesus, keep praying to the Father through Christ, keep praying in the Spirit, and the angels will take care of what they need to take care of, and it's going to be all right. And and the rest of this nonsense, just 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 get it. If it's in your house, get it out. If it's on your phone, delete it. If if somebody wants to wants to talk you into it, rebuke them kindly in love. But uh, every scripture in the Bible. <laughs> Every scripture in the Bible tells us that uh, Jesus is more than sufficient. There's one mediator, one intercessor, period, the man Christ Jesus. And to put anybody else in that place, an angel, a departed relative, whatever. This, you know, I went to a funeral today, so this is fresh in my mind. This idea that grandma and grandpa's up there looking out for us, it's comforting. It gives us a little bit of peace, and it's absolutely 100% unscriptural. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to blow up anybody's theology. Well, I guess I am. Uh, grandma, grandpa, uncle, aunt, dear friend, they love you. If they could do anything for you, they would. But they don't need to because you've got Jesus. What could what could you know? What could Uncle Bob do for you that Jesus can't? Think yeah. it through. Think it through. What could Great Grandma do for you that Jesus couldn't do for you? What could Michael or Gabriel or any of these other spirits do that Jesus isn't able to do? So that's the sermon. I'll close it there. Are there any other comments or questions on anything we've talked about with angels tonight? Hey, Bishop, good night. I wanted to draw this to your attention, and maybe we can discuss it next week. I came in late. Angels are not supposed to be male nor female, but most times they show up and they represent the male form. They even carry male names. And I'm just wondering, without trying to be chauvinistic, is it because angels can appear even as a light? So God is making, I'm just speculating, speculating. he's making this distinction that he has always sent angels typifying the male form. And if and when they should ever show up as female, it's because something is so very wrong. Well, Donald, it's good to have you back. Um, 
I don't have a short answer to that question. So we'll have to, we, we can pick it up next week. There's That's some, what I'm saying. Mis- yeah. yeah, there's some mysteries here. Um, and something about them being called sons of God rather than daughters of God may imply a type of gender in angels. But uh, if, if I open this box tonight, we're going to be here for a couple of hours. So yes, let's brother, come back to that. that. Let's come back to that. I, I don't know necessarily, you know, the second point you made there, if, if an angel appears in a feminine form, it's an automatic deception. I'm going to have to think about that. Uh, I may end up agreeing with you. I may not, but I definitely need to give that some thought because that's an area I've never really uh, that's a road I've never really gone down before. So let me think that one through a bit and do some studying on that. But uh, that's what I need. That's why I need you in these classes, brother. I need the guy who asked me the questions that I don't think of. <coughs> Amen. Anyone else? Pastor, very quickly, I mentioned earlier that I I um, Googled the role of angels, and that's because while I received a reminder of um, Bible study this evening. I did not receive the study notes, if you sent them out. I did, yes. I sent them out about 4 o'clock. Yes, but I I didn't. So please send. Okay. I I will definitely do that. Anyone else who wants the notes that doesn't get them, uh, please just send me an email. More attachment to the notes. To the email. Oh. No, well, I didn't get the attachment. Okay. All right. I'll fix that. That was my error. I didn't error, see my uh, That was clearly my error. So uh, I will send the notes tonight uh, and uh, make sure you all get them. I apologize for that. It's been a busy day, but no excuses. I sent the email. I just forgot to attach the attachment. All right. Does anyone have any uh, prayer requests before we go tonight? Uh, Yes, yes, Pastor. Pastor. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. No, this is B. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, thank you, B. Um, I have a nephew who will be going to court. I believe it's this Friday. I spoke to... um, Brother Leslie last week about him. While I don't know whether he's guilty or not, I heard his side of the story. I'm just asking for prayer for him that um, if he's guilty, you know, God just might help him and uh, show him, have the judge show mercy. And if Amen. he's not guilty, that, you know, Justice will be done. All right. Someone else? Yes, Pastor. Um, I'm a question for for myself, as it is right now. I'm having this terrible headache on my on my right side. It's very painful, and uh, I'm requesting that you pray for me and that God will heal. This annoying headache. Amen. We will. Anyone else? 
yes, I um I'm in really dire need of a vehicle and I feel like God has spoken yeah. to me in devotions and um through other people that, you know, on the wait patiently and not be so anxious and that everything is due to his timing. So I'm scared to pray for patience because that's a serious prayer. <laughs> but um, just continue to pray for me um, and my family, and that um, and that God will continue to provide and bless us as He always has been. Amen. Anyone else? All right. Let's um, let's continue. To remember, family of Sue Ellen, and uh, also had a funeral today with for Sister Sean's brother Jake uh, over at the Cooper City Church. He passed away rather suddenly and unexpectedly. So we want to remember Sister Sean and her family and her mother, of course. And, you know, there's been a, been a lot of funerals lately. A lot of people are grieving. So let's keep that at the top of our list of prayers. All right, let's, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity tonight. And your word is such a comfort and strength to us. And Lord, we do thank you for the ministry of angels. We know we've all benefited. We've all blessed, been blessed. Amen by these heavenly spirits that uh, have helped us even even probably uh, thousands of times without us even knowing it, God. And, and Lord, we know that you, they're extensions of your love for us, of your grace to us, and, and we're so grateful for that. We just, uh, we, just we know, God, that uh, they're going to continue to carry out their work in our lives and, and watch over us. And so, Lord, we just wanted to say thank you. And we also wanted to lift up the needs tonight. Our dear sister suffering in her body tonight, God, in her head, God. We need, we need a touch right now of, uh, of healing, of physical healing in this body. I need a touch in my own body tonight, God, to strengthen me and help me, God. I, I know you're a healing God. You've proven it in my life and in the lives of so many, so many times. So we know that been putting our, our bodies into your hands. You are a great physician. You are, you are the one who, who strengthens us and makes us whole. I, I pray for these tonight, God, who are, who, who are, who are in difficult situations economically, uh, needing, uh, needing certain things to come together, needing a car, needing, needing other things, God, that uh, we know it's so important in these times, God, that uh, uh, so difficult for everybody to have the patience, the, to, to be willing to wait on the right time, the, the God-appointed time. And we know, God, you will move at the appointed time. We have faith and trust in that. We pray for this young man, God, his whole future could be determined in court this week, God. Whatever the story is, God, whatever the truth is, we pray that this would be a way of touching his soul, of touching yes, his God. heart, his, his yes. mind. Let him know, God, regardless of how this goes, that you are with him 
And his life doesn't have to be a, a, a life of, of incarceration, a life of prison, a life of hopelessness, a life of despair. But in the midst of it all, you are the God who can give him hope and peace in these circumstances and, yes, and bring Lord the God. truth to light, God. And let justice uh, be tempered with yes, mercy. Lord. Let justice yes. be tempered with yes. grace. Let justice be tempered with love, God, and deliver him, oh God, tonight. And all these other needs, Lord, you know everyone, these families that are grieving, that are hurting, God, in a, in a place beyond the physical, hurting in their hearts, hurting in their souls, in the absence of these loved ones. God, we just pray tonight for comfort, the strength. The presence of the Holy Spirit would be with them in a mighty way, in a special way, oh God. We lift it all before your throne. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. We agree on it and we say, Amen. 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 God bless you all tonight. I'll have the notes to you very shortly. Have a good evening. been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org. Or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.